Welcome to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFISFM. Well, Sharon, we are back here for another show. Yeah, welcome everybody. (laughs) (laughs) To a beautiful day. Yeah, and we have a really special guest today, uh, Mark Davies. Uh, Hi, Mark. Hello, Sharon. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, I'm so interested in what you have to tell us. Um, Mark uh, is uh, going to tell us about a program from the University of Victoria called the Institute of Aging and Lifelong Health. And, you know, Judy and I are, are seniors. And <laughs> plus. <laughs> yeah, plus, plus. And so we're very interested in what you have to say. Now, I don't think that you're a senior, Mark, and so I'm wondering what brought you into the interest of uh, helping uh, seniors manage their old age. Well, it's very kind of you, but I will be 70 this year, so I think I qualify <laughs> as a senior. Yeah, uh, so, okay, so you you can join us. <laughs> we only beat him by 10. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, did, I did start when I was 48. Okay. Actually, actually, my interest became I... Um, like most people in our generation, I had had continuous employment since university, and then all of a sudden I, I found myself uh, out of work. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I had had a lifelong battle with osteoarthritis. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and I was sitting around feeling sorry for myself being <laughs> at work, and uh, I decided to take a walk across the field in here, and I live in Richmond, mm-hmm. the lower mainland. I took a, a walk across to volunteer Richmond. Oh. And I said, what can a 48-year-old out-of-work person do rather than sit around feeling sad for myself? Mm-hmm. And they put me in a little room with a machine that printed out about 600 different volunteer activities <laughs> that I could have done. Oh. <laughs> and and I, I chose the Arthritis Society because... Um, number one, because they had arthritis. Number two, because they had a they had a program called arthritis self management. And oh. many many years ago, although I didn't complete my university degree, my goal at that time was to be a teacher. And mm-hmm. I had been uh, over the last thirty three years. I've coached probably every sport in the world, which is you know very much like teaching. It so is. Yeah. I thought I'll take that up. Phoned up, made an appointment, got an interview. They didn't have any uh, training programs at that time, but they turned me on to a person that um, actually came to work for us later mm-hmm. um, as a volunteer coordinator. So I, I uh, volunteered for their arthritis telephone information line, which mm-hmm. was a phone line around the BC where anybody with uh, arthritis-related conditions could phone in for information. So I booked myself for Monday morning first thing. <laughs> And Friday afternoon, last thing, so that I felt like I was kind of getting out there again, you know, kicking mm-hmm. myself in the butt to, <laughs> to get out there and uh, and and do something. And I found it hugely, hugely rewarding. Well, at that time, the uh, volunteer coordinator had uh, gone to university and uh, was friends with Dr. Patrick McGowan, which is our current program director Mm -hmm. and she introduced me to him and all of a sudden um his uh initial research coordinator uh was leaving to have a baby and wasn't coming back and he offered me the job and that was 21 years ago there was he and i at at ubc initially Uh uh-huh since then we've grown to 
we have about approximately 25 people on staff now. Oh, my goodness. You know, and and it just tells you that you needed to be out of work at 47. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, well, actually it was 48 because, and I remember it well because my granddaughter was born then. She's 21. Oh, yeah. It's August. So yeah. yeah. Yep, and so there is a reason for these things, even though we take it personally for a while. You know, I, I was 47 when I went to start working in a transition house, and right. and uh, I actually was volunteering and working at a lumber mill, <laughs> and I ended up being the ED of the transition house. And so, you know, it all happens for a reason, but we don't sometimes know what at the time. I guess it's that thing that some people call fate, you know, or or maybe it's just fortunate luck or whatever. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because this is, I think, and actually I think it's great that you're um, a senior because uh, how do do seniors relate to um, a junior, you know? You know, I should tell you that we, of the 25 on staff, we have about three that are young. (laughs) <laughs> and, the re- and the rest of us are seniors. Dr. McGowan is a couple of years older than I am. Yeah. I, have, I have a colleague that's a year younger than me. Yeah. Uh, about four or five of them that are in their late 50s, one in their late 60s. So our average age, you, even with the younger mm-hmm. the younger crowd, is uh, 55 plus or so. so yeah. So yeah. we have a pretty good, pretty good idea of what goes on because we all have chronic conditions. As well. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, when I was uh, running Phoenix House here in town, which was a shelter for women and children, I hired like four or five women in their late 60s, early 70s. And some of them, we I gave them job descriptions as grandmas. Right, right. And they brought something really wonderful into the shelter. And so um, the re- reason I was searching was because of a friend of mine who's 86, I think. Um, she's managed to look after herself, and to, but it's taken her a while to get things in place that she needs to take care of her, to do the shopping, to take her to appointments, and, and all of these kind of things. And now I think this is kind of what... The self-management program is about, isn't it? That's that's right. The um, you know the north has its has significant challenges from the rest of the province. Mm-hmm. So, uh, smaller communities and uh, and obviously the weather for you know yep. part part of the year. So it's always been tough. We have coordinators for every region, and I've been fortunate to coordinate every region. Okay. And, and then I um, I retired in tw- January 2020 on January 2nd mm-hmm. and got rehired on January 3rd. <laughs> <laughs> but as a part-time coordinator. So I work three days in the north. Right. And I have a lot of family in the north as, as well. I have a sister and brother-in-law in Fort Nelson. I have nephews in Prince George. Okay. And, uh, nieces in Dawson Creek. So it was something that you know, I thought it's the only region I hadn't fully uh, coordinated, and I thought it would be uh, something. But I didn't think it was going to be uh, during the times of a pandemic. Yes. So normally our programs are such that we train volunteer leaders to uh, to provide our programs, which were six weeks in length. They met once a week for two and a half hours we, we train volunteer leaders to deliver the programs 
in the north because, as you're more aware than I am, northerners don't really like people from outside the north. Not not don't like them, but they prefer to have people that understand their community and what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so we you know and. We've always had difficulty, as I say, especially because of those two things, is that to make it economical, it's hard to go to small communities. Prince Mm -hmm. George, of course, isn't one of those communities. But, you know, a lot of the smaller communities are are really tough to get enough people together to make it economically viable to go there. Yes, yeah. So, So we've always fought that battle with the North. And, of course, the North probably needs the programs in some ways more than any of the other regions mm-hmm. because, because of the lack of, of uh, health professionals and, and as I say, the, the traveling distance to get some of the resources mm-hmm. for, uh, for, for different people. Have you been up to Prince George Council of Seniors here in Prince George? Uh, no, I haven't been to Prince George for a number of years. Yeah. I, I did a, a federal-funded program in Prince George, worked with the... Uh, the Métis Council and uh, and uh, the uh, City Council in Prince George. We did a, a, a federal-funded uh, diabetes program many, many years ago, mm-hmm. 2000, 2002, 2003. I have been in Prince George since then, but not not actively for quite a while. I was getting all prepared for a trip to, uh, to Prince George in the spring of 2020 when, of course, the pandemic hit, a, hit yeah. in March of 2020 because... Most things have to emanate out of Prince George in the north because yes. it is it is the hub of the north. You yes, know, it, it is. It, it yeah. is the most popu- It is the most populated city. So one of the um, seniors um, centers is called Elder Sit Elder Citizens Recreation Association. It's on Tenth Avenue and it's got like a thousand members, okay. and that might be something you want to write down for when. You can travel because they have a great big meeting room with a stage and all the equipment. It's quite a beautiful place. The Prince George Council Seniors is just a little building, but ECRA, Elder Citizens, uh, they call themselves ECRA. They would be able to uh, bring a lot of people in, and I think it is really needed up here, Mark. Um, you know, the, and you're very, very wise about bringing outsiders in. <laughs> yeah. Well, luck, luckily, like I say, fortunate I got family up there. So yeah. I, guess I, can be a, I can be a little bit like one-sixth of a northerner. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, but some of these um, programs are um, online as well, are they yeah. not? Yeah. What yeah. we did is, because we're pro- small and pretty vibrant, we immediately... Um, Came up with programs to because we had to suspend all our programs that the, were funded by the ministry. The ministry said, "Pandemic, all um, all in person programs are canceled." Oh dear! So all, of, all of a sudden, we were sitting there in March, like many people, mm-hmm. with everything wiped off the board. So, our uh, our program director, Doctor uh, uh, Doctor McGowan, came up with a number of programs that uh, work. Um, in a lot of different ways. Maybe mm-hmm. I could just give you a little bit of a, oh, an for overview. Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. So our basic program is called a toolkit for active living, and we have it in three different disciplines. We have chronic conditions for those people who have chronic conditions only. Mm-hmm. 
uh, chronic pain for those people who have, you know, the chronic condition that's associated with chronic pain, which is, you know, probably 95% of people, their chronic condition. Yeah. And then we have diabetes, which, of course, unfortunately, is becoming in North America a bit of an epidemic in itself. Yes. So that's a one-time mailing for people who, you know, uh, perhaps people our age, uh, younger, that don't want to get on the computer or right. don't want to don't get on Zoom. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a one-time kit. There's a beautiful textbook that's um, now been made available in 26 different countries. This is, it was a Stanford-based program that came out. It's evidence-based. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fantastic. Um, and it comes out with uh, a self-test, with a, to- uh, a toolkit, with a CDs, all sorts nice. of stuff where you can do it by yourself. So yep. you but- can do self self-study. So that works for a lot of people. It's a... It's a one-time mailing, or depending, it could be delivered, but generally Mm -hmm. it's a one-time mailing. Okay. Then what we took was uh, the same thing, Toolkit for Active Link, but plus calls. So Mm -hmm. it started out as a phone program, like you would meet once a week for six weeks with um, three or four people, two leaders, and you would go over that same material, you know, Mm -hmm. with... You know, and share share your experiences and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, it evolved into a Zoom program because during the last two years, people have become almost second nature to Zoom. No matter what age, I've had so many uh, people tell me, "Oh yeah, my grandson taught me that," you know, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. So, yeah. So that became a really good program because a lot of people like the interaction. They like to know they're not alone. Yeah. They're, uh, you know, and even though we have. Um, like you could have arthritis, I could have arthritis. There's 150 different kinds. Yeah, we could be going through the same experiences, different experiences, and there's a lot of power in sharing things. So oh, absolutely. Some of, some of the, some of the basic things we do are we set we set action plans every week for everybody, and we come back and then we share how we've done. And those action plans aren't things that you're told to do. Mm-hmm. It's some, something you want to do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, in, in a week, and it can be measurable, you know, like it could be, you know, um, it could be exercise-related. It could be I'm going to go home and uh, lock the door and have a bubble bath, mm-hmm. you know, three, mm-hmm. three times a week. It could be from soup to nuts kind of thing. Yes, and, yeah. And all of, all of the activities that we introduce, are um it's up to people to say like there's a whole toolkit array mm-hmm. some work for some 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 don't work at all for others you know no program uh can say that it covers everybody no, or does no. everything you know one size so, doesn't so, fit yeah, all so, yeah. so people so people choose you know what kind of things they want to work on at a particular time and so on and so forth they get all the same material as in the mail out but as i say they get the support of of uh, of a peer group and and a couple of trained volunteer leaders. So that works um, really well. We've been super successful on, on both of those programs. Um, we also, at the time, introduced what we call a Better Choices, Better Health. It's an online program. Uh-huh. And, what, and what that does, it's the same kind of program. It's based on the chronic conditions side of the program, but it's a 24-7 program. So people like today, I talked to somebody in Prince George who's 25, mm-hmm. who has cerebral policy, but palsy, but has gone back to work. Mm-hmm. But, but she works shift work. Oh. So she can't, can't necessarily meet a scheduled program. So we talked about that program and felt that that was better for her because 
she could get on the middle of the night and post stuff if she wanted to yes. do or, or yeah. stuff like that, depending on what her schedule. I mean, a lot of people that have chronic pain don't have these regular lives that people think of. You know, you don't go to bed at 10 o'clock or yeah. 9 o'clock and, and stay in bed. You're up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, in pain. Yeah, and, you are. Yeah, need, need to focus on other things. I yeah. mean, I have... I have five different chronic conditions, for example. I have sleep apnea and diabetes and, you know, you mm-hmm, name it. But mm-hmm. you can still you can still be successful, you know, um, that. So, so that's a, another program we added. Mm-hmm. We added, uh, we've always had a self-management health coach program. Now, that's people who are trained. So it's once a week. Now, this one, instead of all the rest are six-week programs, this one is 13 weeks. So people sign up. And they get a trained person that phones them uh, once a week for oh, 30 minutes. And they, and they talk about action plans, but they talk about, you know, if it was you and I, I'd say, hey, Sharon, how's your week been? Mm-hmm. What's happening? Mm-hmm. What are you dealing with this, this way? And, you know, I'd use my skills and the tools that have been provided. We might be talking about doctors told you you need a different medicine. So we talk about decision making. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you might feel that you're overweight. Mm-hmm. Um, um, not that I'm saying that, Sharon, but I am. <laughs> and, and so we talk about healthy eating, but we don't tell people what to do. No. We provide them with health education, and they choose not only the areas they want to work on. Like somebody might say, you know, especially an old guy like me, I say, phooey, my mom served me that all, all my life. It's fine for me. Yeah. You know, despite what the dietitians say yeah. today, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's a great program, and we have hundreds of people that have, well, actually thousands of people. I think we had over 900 people sign up for that last year alone. Wow. We almost, we almost couldn't handle it. Yeah. So, so then in this last year, we've come up with our same six-week program that we used to do in, uh, in person, mm-hmm. our chronic conditions or chronic pain or diabetes. We've just started them as virtual self-management programs. So it's the same program. Two trained leaders from wherever in the province, people yeah. up to 12 people joining yeah. from anywhere in the province, and we do our six-week session once a week for two and a half hours, and we actually go through all of the activities. The toolkit, I would say, is kind of a, um, a mini program because yeah. it's only 45 minutes yeah. on, on the phone or on Zoom. But the virtual programs are definitely on Zoom. Yeah, you, you have to have a computer and you have to have a camera. Yeah, Mark, we've just got a minute left. So, okay. uh, how do they get in touch with you, or or with the? They can go online and, um, as I did, uh, I know there's a phone number one eight six six nine zero two three seven six seven. Right, that's our toll free number, and they can also go on our website, which is. Self Management BC all together. Self Management BC CA. Yeah, good, because and um, I think um, we could have had longer, uh, but we I've got the information. Self Management BC, right. and I've got the phone number, so I can give that out again. And, and, and you can give my phone number out or my email as well, Sharon. Oh, uh, okay. You know, feel feel free. We're all working from home. I think except for. Yes. I see five people in the office, and we're going to continue to uh, work from home, even with the pandemic uh, receding. So, and and uh, anytime, I'd love to talk about the programs again. Anytime that yep. uh, we you can feel do it that, would be good for the uh, community. Yeah, I think we can do that, and I'll talk to Acra and get something going for 
maybe a possibility of, of coming up or doing a Zoom meeting for the the members. I could do. A, I could certainly do a full presentation for them. Yeah, good. You know, on on Zoom, you know, where yeah. I could show them the the charts and that. You know, as I say, we've been funded. We've been in business longer, but we've been funded by the ministry every year. Our contract's been renewed since 2003, so okay. I think, it's, uh, I think uh, we have a really good reputation. Good. So I will be in touch with you, and I'll talk to Hector and get them to get in touch with you. And I really appreciate this, and I appreciate the program. And uh, we'll just advertise it a little bit at the end of the program. Thank- and we, we appreciate you, Sharon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Mark Davies, and <laughs> keep yourself safe. You do. Take, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. We'll take a short break and be back with our next guest. I'm Ringo and I play the drums. Uh, well, I'm Paul and I play the uh, uh, bass. I'm George and I play a guitar. I'm John and I too play a guitar. Sometimes I play the food. Join me Fridays at 8 p.m. for Apple Scruffs. From their early years to their solo careers, we delve into the history and trivia of when they was fab. Over the past year, the Alzheimer's Society of BC has made enhancements to their remote and virtual programming so no one walks alone with dementia. Developments include virtual support groups, fitness and social programming with Minds in Motion, and weekly webinars on dementia-relevant topics. If you've taken in any of these virtual programs, please provide your feedback and thoughts through the First Link Dementia Helpline. The number to call is 1-800-936-6033. That's 1-800-936-6033. The College New Caledonia has launched the roadmap for its future with the release of its 2021 to 2026 strategic plan, Learning Together. It was achieved through a year of engagement, including hundreds of contributions, dozens of meetings and open forums across the region. At the core of its plan, CNC's new vision, Learning Together, Changing Lives, Creating Futures. The full plan is available online at cnc.bc.ca. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, a mix of sun and cloud with local smoke, a high of 30 with a very high UV index. Tonight, partly cloudy with local smoke, a 30% chance of showers early this evening with the risk of a thunderstorm. Wind from the northwest at 20K, a low of 11. On Wednesday, mainly sunny with local smoke. Wind from the southwest at 20, a high of 27 with a very high UV index. Brought to you in part by Riverbend Seniors Community on 93.1 CFISFM. This is Senior Moments. And we're back on the air, and our next guest is on the line. And so, hello, Val. Good afternoon. This is Sharon, right? Yes, this is Sharon, and, and this is Val Litwin, and he's an outsider, he calls himself. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's uh, put his name in the hat for the leadership run of liberals and i i really am interested in hearing each person we've had mike on mike morris and he was supporting kevin um and uh i thought well i want to have everybody else on as well and hear what they have to say and uh and so I kind of liked what t- your first presentation was, Val. You're you're talking about women's issues. 
Yeah, well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here, and um, I'm, I'm glad you've been talking to or hope to talk to some of the other candidates. This is going to be an exciting race, and it's an important one, I think, mm-hmm. for the BC Liberals. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, I, uh, I think in BC and for the BC Liberal Party, we are long overdue for a new definition of success. And for me, that's informed partly because I think the world has changed in so many ways, of course, when mm-hmm. I think about, you know, climate change and just the, the, the shifting economies that we're seeing all around us, the cost of housing going up, mm-hmm. um, not just in the lower mainland any, anymore. I know that's, a, that's an area of concern up there in Prince George. But mm-hmm. also, we're seeing some of our social issues just continue to intensify. And the BC Liberal Party, I think, needs to evolve from being just, uh, let's call it a very pro-business party, first and foremost, to a party that talks about people mm-hmm. and really leans into some of the social issues of our time, but mm-hmm. still frames up a fair, inclusive, competitive, thriving economy, which we know if we don't have that, we don't have great social services. So I think it's an exciting time for the party to mm-hmm. have a deep conversation around what the next chapter looks like. Yeah, and... Um The North is, you know, Prince George, we we pay a lot of money uh, to the South, and we don't get a lot of, even though we do have two MLAs here, uh, we don't get a lot of action as far as uh, a lot of us feel, and we're kind of ignored, and yet are we getting our money's worth up here? It's a great conversation, and, and, you know, that has been a theme that I have heard when I was CEO of the BC Chamber of Commerce for four years straight. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in that role, of course, the BC Chamber being BC's biggest and broadest business Mm -hmm. association, I represented 36,000 members from top to bottom, east to west in this province. And we we had to speak for everyone. And one of my big areas of focus when I was in that seat was really bringing the south, uh, the north to the south and the south to the north. Mm-hmm. So people in both parts of the province could really understand um, the issues that each other is going through, but more importantly, how connected we are in terms of those issues. So you hit the nail on the head, Sharon. You know, the north and the interior of BC, they produce a ton of wealth and mm-hmm. opportunity and high-paying jobs for the province. And um, you know, do those communities always see the benefit flowing back? And I don't think they do. No. Um, and I think there is lots of opportunity for us to do better um, for people in the north and the interior. And, and when I think about some of the areas where we can do better, obviously healthcare is a big one, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, uh, you know, safety when it comes to, you know, crime, the opioid crisis, there, there are all sorts of uh, social issues. Um, that need attention, and uh, you know, I'm thinking about infrastructure in the north as well. The Taylor Bridge, uh, we we talked about that for years when I was at the BC Chamber of Commerce. It's probably time to uh, reinvigorate some some core transportation infrastructure in the north too. So, I'm ready to have that conversation. I and I think um, the north and the interior of British Columbia they deserve to get a little bit more back because. Yeah, we. My we, goodness, they, they sure they sure drive opportunity for this province. Yeah, and you know the we the Greyhound quit providing service, and um, and so now it's it's kind of dangerous because people are hitchhiking again, um, and that is very dangerous, especially for women. And uh, we need to look at transportation. We are getting to use the. Um, 
hospital bus for if people have to go down south and we can fix it so it's a medical issue uh but you know and we've got the fires up here there's 350 fires in bc right now and uh we've got some really bad fires here but you've got them down south too uh we're helping each other in that area i think uh but it's like when people get in if if i think about the ndp right now all of a sudden we have almost an autocracy mike was telling me that he's asked to have a meeting with one of the ministers and he's been put off until august are you kidding me yeah, well, gosh, I, I don't have any context around that meeting, but I, I do think governments are elected to represent the people. And whenever I hear that a government is not responding to a sitting in L.A. for a meeting on an urgent topic, I mean, that just doesn't strike me as truly representative government or, mm. or government that is suggesting it wants to listen to the people and be responsive to the people. So I think, you know, that for me is table stakes mm-hmm. when you're an elected official and when you're the party in power, you need to be taking these meetings. But, you know, you just listed uh, a whole litany of, of issues that we're going through now. And for me, this just all connects back to um, what I'm pitching, which is all of the problems that we've had in, in BC and the issues we've been up against for the last generation or so are intensifying now, whether it's mm-hmm. climate change or certainly, um, especially in the lower mainland, anti-Asian hate crimes, Mm-hmm. Um, the oh. opioid crisis, homelessness, social inequality, women still lagging behind men for equal or better work um, when it comes to their salaries and, and wages. So, um, again, it's an exciting opportunity, I think, to take a party uh, like the B.C. Liberal Party that has led this province in so many exciting ways when it comes to the economy and the environment. I think back to the introduction of the world's first revenue-neutral carbon tax under the B.C. Liberal Party mm-hmm. um, over 10 years ago. Now, this party has led on the biggest and bold, uh, most bold ideas, I think, in this province, and we can get there again, and we can tackle some of these issues that um, I think people around the province are demanding politicians uh, get to the root cause of them. Eleanor Roosevelt said, without equality, there is no democracy. And so when you talked about women in business and women being the hardest hit with the pandemic um, and that you are interested in helping uh, creating and growing a path forward for women, um, you're looking, you want to reach 45,000 women across Canada. And, you know, without equality, there's no democracy yeah, no, I, hey, I, I agree. I'm, I'm very passionate. Now, so let's be clear. I don't think women need our help. I think women need to be empowered. Um, women in, in BC and Canada statistically have fallen behind and been behind lagging for too long when it comes to pay for equal mm-hmm. work, uh, when it comes to getting access to funds to grow their businesses. Uh, certainly we know there's, there's a, an old cultural hangover of, of in many cases, how we treat women in the workplace mm-hmm. and other parts of um, so-called civil society. So all of that needs to change. And I think there is a movement afoot. I think people are um, understanding we have to work toward what Eleanor Roosevelt was saying. This, for me, is an exciting time. But from a policy perspective, when it comes to government, I think there are things we can do to help accelerate that path to equality for women. And I have been, all the, the mentors in my life have been women. My 
business partners. Um, when I was an entrepreneur, they were all women. Mm-hmm. And I've been putting my money where my mouth is anyway <laughs> when it comes to my volunteer time. So I've been a, a supporter of the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs, um, which is now a Canadian, uh, Canada-wide charity. But whose mission is to leave no woman behind. And my time in that organization has seen me mentoring women and supporting them, uh, empowering, lifting them in their businesses. It's been very gratifying. And, and the thing, Sharon, that I think is so exciting is that the data says when we invest in a woman, when we empower a female-owned business, we get better results socially as well. Mm-hmm. Because statistically, they're more likely to give back to the community. They're more likely to be core value-driven in how they approach business. So for me, it's a, it's a, it's a triple-word score when we support women, and that's something I'm looking forward to talking more about as this campaign unfolds. And uh, yes, and you know the other big issue that we have right now is is um, addictions, and I really have a problem with the way um, that they are being addressed. And uh, um, I don't know if you um, know that much about what's going on with the harm reduction and with the closure. You know, the um, it was the Liberals that mainly closed Riverview and Essendale and and uh, Crease Clinic and those treatment centers. But when I did some research on that, I discovered that they had changed from those um, services being run by psychiatrists to administrators, and that's where they lost their focus. And when they shut those places down, then uh, they promised a place for each one of those individuals close to home, which was not happened. It didn't happen. And so now we have a homeless um, situation, plus a drug overdose and death situation. And I don't think that there is a leadership that really understands addictions and and that uh, if you're handing everything out, why would anybody want to quit? Yeah, so this is, a, this is obviously a, a complicated topic, and I'm not an expert in harm reduction, although I know that the science research says when you take a harm reduction approach, if you're also supporting those individuals going through some sort of detox or recovery with the additional appropriate supports around them, mm-hmm. the harm reduction stuff is really smart. So in other words, um, you know, I think uh, just ensuring someone has safe drug supply, clean drug supply alone is not the path to recovery. No, it isn't. Um, you have to pair it with housing. You have to pair it with um, detox and counseling supports. You, yeah. you have to pair it with, you know, um, coaching and, and back yeah. to work, you know, creating a life for people, a life of meaning yes. and integrity. So, I mean, what I would say very, very briefly on this one, because... It, it, you got my whole, vote. We could do a whole interview on this. <laughs> but you've got my vote. <laughs> well, but what I would say, though, Sharon, and, and this may or may not be popular with everyone, but it will take money to really get on top of this. Mm-hmm. And what I know, what gives me inspiration and hope is we have hundreds and hundreds of organizations around BC 
that are focusing on solutions to this problem, but it is a continuum. Yes. And you, you think about someone who is, you know, still addicted um, for all sorts of reasons, not because they failed at life or they're a bad person. Maybe no, they've no. gone through trauma. Maybe they've, yes. uh, you know, they've fallen on bad times. Yeah. They've been evicted and they can't find a home because, of course, homelessness is so attached to this issue. Yes. But it's a continuum, and we have to find out how we can take and care for people from that moment. They say, I'm ready to make a change. Yes. All the way through back into reintegration, back into life. Yeah. And we have, we have the range of support, but what I fear and what I understand from the research and the conversations I'm ha- having with people and organizations is at points in that continuum, we, we hold someone's hand and we say, come with me, and mm-hmm. we walk them 15 feet down a 200-foot path. Yeah, And so I think we need to do better at linking some of these supports and services. But I know we've got the right people. I know communities and people have the right intention. Mm-hmm. We just have to get more intentional about the fix. Yeah, and, it, and, and it's exactly as you say. It has to be holistic. And you can't just, you know, um, put someone in detox and then through treatment. There has to be the other things set up for them. And, uh, and I'm glad that you see it. I worked in that field for 40 some odd years and uh, the changes that are made astound me. Um, as a person who would be to, um, total abstinence, you know, that should be the goal in my mind. I can ha- work with harm reduction as long as the goal is total abstinence. Um, now I've got three minutes uh, to give you, um, I love what I've read about you. You say that you're an outsider, but I kind of like what you're saying, um, Val. And uh, I guess for a minute or two, what's your burning issue? Yeah, well, let, let me just say this, because I, I'm only saying I'm perhaps on, in one way you could be me as the outsider, because I'm not a currently sitting in L.A., but the right. last almost 10 years I've been deeply involved in public policy advocating for people communities and businesses around this province mm-hmm. so specifically for the last 8 years I've been shaping that public policy outside the party but representing businesses communities and people around BC delivering right. that impactful policy to Victoria and Ottawa so you know, I, I, uh, I've been a social enterpriser. I've spent a big part of my career giving back to people and communities. I've been an entrepreneur um, where I, I grew a, a franchise business across Canada and to the U.S. I sold it, so I know what it's like to be stressing out, making payroll. <laughs> yeah. when gover- you know, when government's not on your side supporting you, it's the right taxes and the right support so you can go out there and hire more people and grow your business. Yeah. I've also been, uh, you know, I've run a, a home health care company, too, and mm-hmm. really understand the issue senior are facing and families are facing when they can't yeah. get the adequate care for their loved ones. So I'm, I'm someone who um, is has been working outside the political matrix, but I understand the issues. I understand yes. business and I understand community. So um, I'm very excited about the conversation we're going to have in this campaign or over the next eight months. And I hope people will engage with our campaign and they can learn more at www.valwithwin.ca. And I, I really appreciate you giving us this time. And I think that we'll probably catch up with you as it gets closer to that, that time. But I want to introduce everyone, um, at, at the beginning of the campaign and then we'll bring you back just before. 
Oh, Sharon, it would be my pleasure, and uh, I've enjoyed the chat today. And I'd love to, uh, I'd love to come back more and talk about healthcare and so, some of the crises you guys are facing up in the north. Because I'm, I'm excited about how we can tackle those. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So thank you very much. I wish you the best of luck, and you've got my information. If you need to get a hold of me anytime, do it. Fabulous. And Sharon, I've been listening to your show online. You you do good work. So thanks for all you're doing for community. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. We're having fun. We're old girl, a couple of old gals, and we're having fun, Val. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're having fun and you're doing good. Yeah. You you, you take care. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, We'll take a short break and we'll be back with our last guest. Vantage Point's next Board Fundamentals Workshop is on roles and responsibilities this evening at 5.30. Engage your board and align their work with organizational values and vision. A highly effective and engaged board has clarity around roles and responsibilities. Registration and full details are available through the vantagepoint.ca. Board Fundamentals, Roles and Responsibilities, this evening from 5.30 to 8.30 through the vantagepoint.ca. Canada is one of the most connected countries in the world. With more of our daily activities occurring online, we increasingly have to create and remember new passwords. In order to prevent fraud and data breaches, be sure to create strong passwords. Use a minimum of eight characters, including upper and lowercase letters, and at least one number and a symbol. Create unique passwords for every online account. For more information, visit getcybersafe.gc.ca. The government of B.C. has expanded its Launch Online Grant Program. The program will now provide up to $75,000 to help businesses build or expand an e-commerce site. Businesses in the hard-hit tourism sector and the service industry can now access the grant to build or improve their online booking systems. Small and medium-sized businesses can apply online and review eligibility criteria at launchonline.ca. The Launch Online Grant Program. Application deadline is September 30th or until funds have been fully subscribed so don't delay. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, a mix of sun and cloud with local smoke, a high of 30 with a very high UV index. Tonight, partly cloudy with local smoke, a 30% chance of showers early this evening with the risk of a thunderstorm, wind from the northwest at 20K, a low of 11. On Wednesday, mainly sunny with local smoke, wind from the southwest at 20, a high of 27 with a very high UV index. You're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Brought to you in part by Riverbend Seniors Community. When you live at Riverbend, you will feel right at home. Okay, Sharon, we're back on the air. That was our last break for today. Oh, good. For us. <laughs> uh, for us, yes. And now we have Mayor Lynn Hall on the line. We do. Mayor Hello. Lynn Hello, Hall. Sharon. Hi. I haven't talked to you for ages. It's been a while. We've uh, we've exchanged emails, but we haven't talked for a while. No, and there's so much, and uh, um, I don't know where to start. <laughs> I I was looking at COVID. We're doing well in COVID up here. We are. We're doing very well here in Prince George and the region, mm-hmm. uh, and we're encouraging everybody to get out and uh, get your vaccinations. I know we're doing well with the double vaccinations, but mm-hmm. uh, we need to have people keep uh, keep getting out there in every one of your communities and get vaccinated. Yes, and then I see our unemployment rate is like 6.1%, which last June it was uh, 10.9, and it's... it's uh, lower than the national average so we're doing well in that area too yeah we're doing really well and we saw building stats last night for the city of prince george and we're uh in my opinion in for another record-breaking year and when we talk about building permits we 
we, you know, I automatically think about uh, employment uh, mm-hmm. for our city and our area, and we have young people that uh, want to stay here. They want to create a life here in Prince George, and if they have work, they'll stay. Yes. So. And what's that building? Is that the Y that's going up in front of the new um, apartment building downtown there? Near? Yeah, on, on Queensway. It's, yeah. It's a um, 85 space uh, child care oh. facility, and the the uh, family Y are going to operate that. Yeah. Oh, isn't that yeah, great? And you know what's interesting, Susan, Sharon, is that we're going to get at least, I would say, over 300 child care spaces in Prince George uh, over the next couple of years, which is fantastic, Sharon, for everybody. Yeah, yeah, it is, because uh, more moms would be able to go to work. Mm -hmm. I know that um, one of the women that we hired at Phoenix, she... um, wasn't working because she couldn't afford to pay the child care for her two children. And yep. I, I said to Karen, let's just open a daycare at work and have the women bring their kids to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could have. And uh, I don't know of any business in town that's doing that. But when we see the family, why? And, mm-hmm. and uh, the Native Friendship Center, are, are, uh, we dealt with um, their uh a child care facility up in the heart last night mm-hmm. at council. So there's an, as I said, uh, we could see well in excess of 300 child care spaces uh, in the next uh, next year or so. That's smart. And yep. then you have a new manager, city manager. Yes. We uh, officially announced uh, Walter Babich as our new city manager on Monday. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was Walter's first uh council meeting last night as our city oh. manager so we're pretty excited about that now you have 750 staff that he will be um overseeing i guess mm-hmm. and and then we have a budget of 185 million dollars that's right that's yeah. our, our budget and so i have just i don't come into town much anymore just mm-hmm. tuesdays and wednesdays and i just can't help but be overwhelmed by the amount of uh, construction that's going on. What the heck are you doing? You got roads closed. You got <laughs> pavement happening. I can't get through to other places. <laughs> Sharon, it's called progress. We're trying to. We're trying to, as they say in uh, my uh, hometown, uh, Monaco was a farmer. You try to make hay while the sun shines. That's exactly right, boy. You're sure doing it. It's just amazing how much is happening, and you're paving, making new sidewalks. Holy yep. crow! You're a busy guy. Yeah, we've got a tremendous amount work on the go and i want to thank staff uh, our staff are incredible uh, they are mm-hmm. doing a great job and it is busy and i know that there's traffic and there's detours <laughs> and everything else but you know it's um it's the sign of a growing city and and the city is developing and uh, I, I think we're really coming into our own and uh, i i'm really happy to see it so yeah well and i think you know when i you and I disagree on that end, but yep, that's just me. <laughs> that's and I, you know, I'll be passing on, and and we will still steadily grow. And yep. uh, I was talking to Mark Davies, who is for, um, doing a program for seniors from uh, uh, De- De- Richmond. He lives in Richmond, I think. He's in his seventies, and he was talking about the North and. Yep. Uh, how much the North needs, uh, the seniors up here need yeah. help. We got lots of young people coming in. Now we got to take care of us old folks. Well, you remember that I said many times that, uh, you know, I don't mind if our senior population get away in for the winter, but I want them to come home in the spring. Yeah. 
Well, we have to provide. We've got to provide uh, alternate housing for them. So if they're in their big family home and there's only two, uh, you know, mom and dad, and they, the kids are gone and they want to sell, they need a, they need, you know, uh, they need a seniors uh, housing to go to. Yes. Uh, so that's still a shortage for me and still something that we try to talk developers into providing. Yes, exactly. Um, now, fires. We yeah. got lots of fires. I, I read that we got 301 active fires in yeah. BC forests. So uh, what have, what's our up here? How many we got? Chalaco, Cutoff Creek, uh, uh, five between uh, Prince George and McBride. They were human caused. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then Walker Creek. So um, what I was thinking about is how many people are being evacuated to Prince? Are we going through that again? No, we're not going through that again. <clears throat> we're seeing very few. I, I, I don't. There's, if any, there's, you know, maybe half a dozen or so that I'm aware of. Yeah. Uh, so we have our emergency operations team in place, and, and of course we're reacting to a couple things. One is the wildfires, but also flooding. And now oh, the flooding really? has subsided a bit, but when mm-hmm. the warm weather hit, of course it you know starts mm-hmm. to melt all that snow in the mountains. Yes. <clears throat> so I think we've gotten past uh, the flooding, and fingers crossed. But mm-hmm. you know we're we're ready if we have to receive evacuees, but right, and we're ready to help out communities like. You know, Kamloops, and I spoke actually the night of the fire um, that uh, destroyed Lytton. I spoke to one of the councillors there, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a really tough conversation with him. Oh dear! Uh, he had he and his wife had to escape uh, the community, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it's sad. Yeah, it's just so so sad, Sharon. Oh, it is. I worked at the Lytton Hospital for a few years. I yeah. lived in Spences Bridge. I know the community really well. Yeah. The hospital, the church, the there was a grocery store there that was kind of like our ha- hardware store here. And uh people could go and cash their paychecks or they they could just have a grocery list and have it yep. taken off their paycheck. It was a very lovely community. They always called me stuck up because oh. <laughs> I I dressed like I was from Toronto. <laughs> then they got to know I was okay. It was yeah. just looks. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah, but it was a it was a lovely place in the yeah. confluence of the Thompson and the Fraser meet right there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm so sorry what happened. Yeah, yeah, that would be just such such a horrible experience for everyone. Well, I keep in pretty close touch with, you know, the mayor of uh, of Kamloops, and of course, you know, they've got fires all around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, an area in Kamloops was uh, evacuated. They're put on alert not long ago, Juniper Ridge. Um, so they're really taking it on the chin there right now, and and. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, the crane tragedy in, in Kelowna where the crane Oh, my. Fell. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Mayor Bazaran is, uh, I know how that impacts him and his entire team and the entire community. Yeah, so that was shocking. There's a lot of things happening around uh, around us. Yes, so. yeah. Now, there's some good things happening, too. One of them is that our poverty level is uh, slightly lower than uh, provinces and national level, um, which is low-income people, which is another thing that 
I feel kind of good about our Prince George's not in the poverty level that other communities are. So we're doing well in that area. And then we've started Summerfest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Summerfest started last Saturday, and it's going to run every Saturday, uh, uh, for the, I think, through the month of July. And uh, uh, I didn't get down to 3rd Avenue on the weekend because we were... Uh, the city was involved. Uh, a few of us councillors were involved in the Pride cruise. Oh yes, yeah. So uh, that was uh, we we had a number of people stop here at uh, City Hall. We set up out on the front lawn of City Hall and gave away some swag, and mm-hmm. yeah, it, was, it was a lot of fun. So um, I didn't make it over to Third Avenue, but uh, we're going to get out uh, on Saturday and enjoy Summerfest. How uh, things change, Lynn? Um, when we did the first. Uh, gay pride parade mm-hmm. the mayor wouldn't walk in it yeah yeah and here we are where we've opened up our hearts and our minds that these are people yeah when i first came on council in 2010 i i think it was 2011 or maybe 2012 sharon where uh we did participate uh, mm-hmm. in the pride parade and then the following year we put a uh we decorated a a, a trailer and you know mm-hmm. threw out candy and all that kind of yep. thing and yep. and uh, we raised the pride flag in front of city hall and as you know though it needs a little bit of work because there's so much construction around it we've got the pride sidewalk crossing yes on on quebec and seventh avenue leading into canada games plaza isn't that great yeah yeah how how we can open our minds and move mm-hmm. forward and and be inclusive yep the other thing I read was, um, and I've noticed, I have to say, that uh, you've managed to move the encampments and move, move the dangerous and unhealthy um, encampments around the community. And I have really noticed the change in that, which I think makes people feel... Because in my mind, people say, well, my friend told me the other day, don't people have a right to live where they want and I said don't people have a right to have a business well that's a good point and and as you know we have a small encampment on George Street we have a a bigger encampment now Mm -hmm. uh, just um, below the Miller edition sort of parallel to where the old city yard was uh, right and it does it causes me some concern there's no question Mm -hmm. Uh, and We've seen what's happened with encampments throughout the province in mm-hmm. different cities, and yep. um, but businesses get impacted by that. Businesses are, you know, they, if you made it through COVID, you're excited about now where we are at and that your business will start to thrive. And when yes. you have these issues to deal with, it makes it even more difficult. It really does, so and it's we're not working fair. With you know, we're working with Minister Eby and BC Housing to find transitional housing for these folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but they need supports. I'm not talking about having our homeless population go into shelters. They need they need living homes. Yes, I know what they need. You know, you, you and know you what know I mean, what they sure. need. Yep, and, they uh, they need a place where they're safe. Because I've talked to you know I talk to them every time in in town. I stop at. Uh, John Howard Society, I'm on yep. the board, and I talk to the folks, and uh, these people are, uh, they need, they can't sleep at night because it's too dangerous, yep. and so they sleep during the day, and they need 
everyone that I've spoken to is a trauma survivor. So they have brain injuries. And, and I had, um, um, mental health and, uh, Canada mental health on last week. And we talked about this. Don't judge those folks as, as lazy or drunks or whatever. These are people who have had lives that you and I wouldn't probably be able to survive. And I said they're strong because they're lived through the winter and the summer. They just need structure, safety. Yeah, and I mean, you know more about this than I do, but Mm -hmm. I think you'll agree that there is no single solution. Mm -mm. But for me, and it's maybe an overused term, uh, housing first is really important. Yeah. And I take it one step further. If you're going to provide housing, uh, and this falls on the shoulders of BC Housing in the province. Yes. Uh, that you need to provide support. Yes. There needs to be some structure and some help. And uh, mm-hmm. we're not far off uh, 100 units of integrated uh, our health model over on first. We think that'll open up in about, you know, hopefully April, May of next year. But the problem is the interim period, yes, Sharon. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what do we do? You know, we're going to be into winter here in about three or four months. Mm. Uh, so it is. It's a huge challenge, and you know that. You've been working in the field for years, Sharon. You know how, how difficult it is. I do know how difficult it is, oh. and, and you can't tell uh, folks what to do. You can offer them, you know. And, and, and we know a certain percentage of the population that are on the streets now will not leave the streets. That's we right. We know that. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, I've learned a lot over the years uh, when it comes to uh, our homeless population yes. and, and, you know, the folks that are drug addicted and mental illness and all. Oh, it's it's, yeah. it's an, an issue that's bigger than you and I, that's for sure. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah. There's, so there's um, BC Housing More Than Health in the city. You've got something called Let's Talk Housing BC.ca. Is that for people to go on and make suggestions or... I've been on it. I don't know if you can make suggestions on it. What it does is it just gives an overview of housing opportunities in different areas, and it just gives you updates on what BC Housing are doing. And I will tell you that BC Housing, uh, locally and across the province, are working as hard as I've ever seen in trying to provide housing. And we've been very fortunate here. Um, You look at the new E. Fry housing on on 15th Avenue mm-hmm. uh, and First Nations housing on 17th and Massey. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of housing that's happening, uh, but it's that, and I, I, I don't know what the correct term is, Sharon, but it's the housing for the folks that we're seeing on the streets, mm-hmm. that in-term supportive piece that we really uh, that we really need. I remember years ago when I was involved in um, the B.C., Society of Transition Houses, that they opened an apartment down in Vancouver that was especially for people with um, brain injuries. And it worked because they had uh, the nurse there and the counselor there and all of that kind of stuff. Um, But I think think that you're working really hard to uh, try... Because I saw that there's a delayed vote about safe street bylaw, and I think that's really interesting that the city is looking at that too, Lynn. And um, because we love our city and we love yeah. to go downtown, and and I've heard a lot of negatives, and I want 
to people to understand both sides of it. And I really do believe that people who have a business should be allowed to run their business without being. Well, absolutely. Yeah. But that's uh, the balance. That's the bell. You know, I look out the window and see all this development, but a couple Mm -hmm. blocks over, you know, we have a new pool, new Hyatt Hotel. Yeah. A couple blocks over, um, you have some real issues. Yes. Which is unfortunate. And it is unfortunate. And, um, Everybody has. Everybody says, "Well, the city should do this." Well, we have a we have a lot of partners, and yes. everybody has a responsibility. Yeah, everybody has control of something. We don't have control of health care. We don't nope. have control of um, the housing. housing. Yeah, but we need to work together. That's that's how this happens. Yeah, so. and we have to wrap up. And I know that okay. you have somewhere else to go. But I want to thank you for this time. Yeah, you're welcome. And, and before I forget, uh, Councillor Kraus uh, asked me to say hi to you. Oh. Well, it was his birthday a while ago, and yours too, wasn't it? I know I'm coming up in December. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Don't rush it. I won't. (laughs) Thank you so much for this, Lynn. Yeah, you're welcome, Sharon. Good talking to you. You too. Okay. This is Senior Moments, and we've got to say goodbye for this week. And tune in and stay cool. Senior Moments is a co-production of 93.1 CFIS-FM and the Prince George Council of Seniors. Senior Moments is produced by Sharon Hearn with production assistance from A.J. Fair. Theme music is courtesy of Goff Brooks Music. Catch the rebroadcast of today's show tonight at 9 or replay past shows through the podcast at CFISFM.ca. You're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFISFM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.